in. You're awfully good looking for a hot day camping. Just, you just turn to the person beside you and say, you are pretty good looking. Yeah. What a beautiful spot to worship the Lord. And uh, I want to talk to you about freedom, if that's okay. Galatians 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 said that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. The Apostle Paul says, so be free. You want to just say that after me? Be free. So be free. You can do it again. So be free. Yeah, so there's this idea that Paul had, which is not that complicated. It's a fairly steady idea that freedom doesn't just have to be gotten. It has to be maintained. That actually freedom's not just this one-time thing that happens, although it is that. There are moments in our lives and moments in your life where you're going to be set free in ways that you never even imagined were possible, maybe even tonight. Let's believe for that. But then there are also these moments where you've been set free, and then you find yourself just kind of slipping back into cycles of oppression where God wants you not only just to set you free, but also for you to stay free. And this is a, an epic thing for you to understand. I've been at work for about 22 years trying to break cycles of poverty and break systemic poverty and break women out of brothels and out of prostitution and stop human trafficking, maybe even try to break extreme poverty in the world. And what I understand is that freedom is a cyclical thing. It's connected to external uh, issues, but it's also connected to internal issues. So, for example, 28 million people on the planet are enslaved. The fastest growing crime on the planet, you'll know this is human trafficking. There are little girls all over the world that are being groomed and recruited and already used as sex slaves. And we all think it's a horrible thing, at least I hope we do. But not that long ago, probably about two years ago, I was speaking at a university, a Christian university, and I was doing a live uh, polling, um, I was using a live polling tool, and that's where you could vote with your phone instantly. And we had all these questions we were asking throughout the chapel service. It's about 2,000 students. All the faculty were there. It's a fairly famous kind of holiness university. And so they're known for being good, you know, like Christians should be. And they were voting uh, these questions with their phone. And I'll never forget, we asked, one of the questions we asked was, how often do you view porn? Sometimes, never, uh, always, and I can't stop were the, were the uh, options that people could vote. And in that chapel service, I'll never forget, 2,000 young people started voting live with their phone, and we all watched as always and can't stop just started going like almost off the screen. We realized it was like a scream for help kind of from the place. And I made the, the, the topic of conversation went like this. You know, the fastest growing crime on the planet is human trafficking and sex trafficking in particular. And you're the generation that actually is the most equipped, the most educated, the most resourced, the most globally connected generation in the history of the world. And you're enslaved to pornography. And if you don't understand that those two things are connected then I need to help you understand because oppression is not just something that happens outside of a person. It's something that happens inside of a person too. And that internal oppression is connected to the external oppression. And unless we make those connections, we'll never really be free. We won't be free on the inside and we won't be free on the outside. If we don't make that uh, connection to the internal oppression that's at work in our lives, we're never going to see those 28 million slaves set free in our generation. Because their freedom and our freedom are the same freedom. And it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And that's why the apostle says, so be free. And stop letting slavery come back into your life. So I want to talk to you about some principles that I've learned over 22 years of helping people. And even my own life, getting free from addiction and getting free from cycles of poverty and fear in my own life. But also in the lives of tons of people all around the world that I've been privileged to journey with as we, we, we contend for their freedom. And I want to talk about ways to get free and stay free. So no matter where you are tonight on the continuum of freedom, whether you're fighting for it for somebody else or whether you're fighting for it in your own life, even if it's a secret that you need to be set free, I'm believing that Jesus is here with us tonight and he's going to set some people free tonight. And he's also going to set some people free, not only just for yourself, but for some other people to get set free tonight. So I feel like tonight's a night where freedom's going to reign. That's what we've been praying for. That's what we're believing for. 
What else would happen with a bunch of Christians gathered together in a beautiful spot where we said to Jesus, would you please come and be among us except freedom? What would we expect to happen? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. The apostle says, so be free. This is one of the most beautiful things about Christianity to me, following Jesus is Jesus inviting us to participate with him in this incredible experience of bringing redemption to the world. In other words, that God does things that we can't do. We know this is possible. That initial freedom can only come from outside of us. Jesus has done something for us we couldn't do. But then he also invites us to participate, to do what we can do. This is what's so beautiful about what Paul says in Galatians 5. He says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. That's the part that God did that we couldn't do. That's Jesus dying on the cross for sin that we couldn't pay, to break cycles that we couldn't break, that could do something for us we could not do for ourselves. And then the apostle says, so then be free, which is the stuff we can do, where we can choose Jesus, where we can choose to respond to him, where we can choose to learn from him, where we can choose to say yes to him, and we can choose new patterns of freedom that can help some other people. So this is this beautiful partnership we get to do with God, God doing what only God can do, us doing everything we can do, and what at the end result of that is us being free and other people being free. So how do we do it? I'm so glad you asked. Absolutely thrilled you asked. Here's number one. The first principle of freedom is that we actually have to believe it's possible to be free. You know, this sounds crazy because it sounds so simple, but I want, I want you to start thinking with me. Where is there an area that you believe is impossible for freedom to come? What area in your life, maybe it's a relationship, a toxic relationship, maybe it's a, a porn addiction like we were talking about. I remember this 17-year-old kid at that school I was telling you about, because I said to that, those 2,000 kids, I said, anyone that wants to come tonight to a chapel, we're going to actually talk about you getting set free from pornography addiction, so come on out. And 600 guys showed up that night, and I remember this 17, 18, it was almost 18-year-old kid, he was beautiful. I mean, he's absolutely beautiful. I have three sons. So I just was like, he was looked like the kind of kid that I want my sons to be like, you know. And I remember him looking at me and he was just weeping and weeping. And he looked at me and he said, Danielle, you have to help me. He said, I can't even look at myself in the mirror anymore. I hate who I've become. I've been using porn since I was 12 years old. I need some freedom. And it might be something like that where to look at you would be to see like a beautiful Christian, but actually on the inside, there's things going on in your private secret life. There are things going on that are keeping you enslaved, that make you ashamed to look at yourself in the mirror. Jesus wants to set you free from that. And this is the first step is to believe it's possible, to believe that God can do it, but also that you can do it and that God designed you to be free. How many people understand we were designed for freedom? It's how God made us. That's why slavery and oppression and sin never fit us. That's why they, they never fit our lives. They don't fit our society. They don't fit our world because we weren't born for it. We were actually born for freedom. So freedom is what's possible. So where's the area in your life where you find it difficult to believe it's possible? I remember this happening for me. Uh, I remember reading a book called The End of Extreme Poverty. And you would think by the title of the book, I would have realized what the book was about. But I, 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 I just didn't really think about it until about halfway through this book. This guy, Dr. Jeffrey Sachs, he lines up this plan on how we could, we could end extreme poverty in our life. Now, I'm reading this book. I'm about halfway through it. And this thought comes to me. I remember I was on an airplane. I was coming back from Africa. And I'm on this airplane, this thought comes to me. I'm in the middle of reading this book, and I went, whoa, we could end extreme poverty in my life. It was like the penny just fully dropped into the bank. You know what I mean? It was like the extra French fry that was missing from my Happy Meal got, like, found again. It was like everything suddenly made sense to me. I was like, we could end extreme poverty in our life. And as soon as I realized it, it changed the way I thought about it. It changed what I did. It changed how I lived. It changed, actually, you know, here's one of the things I realized is that I had spent my whole life in the church, raised in the church, in the Salvation Army, for Pete's sake, whose job it is to combat poverty, and I had actually believed in my mind that it was impossible to end extreme poverty on the earth. I had somehow believed with the oppression of extreme poverty. I had come into agreement with a spirit that says it's okay for little kids to die of extreme hunger. I had, I had just thought, well, that's how life is. It's hard. That's how it goes. That's just the world that we live in. How many places are you in agreement with oppression? How many places do you have agreement going on in your own life 
with this idea that this is just how it is, whether it's for somebody else or whether it's for you. It's not. It's not how it is that God has an alternative plan and a beautiful plan, and it is possible for you to be free. This is the first step. Now, how you can tell when oppression is returning in your life is when your thoughts start to repeat themselves that this is just what you have to put up with. This is how you were made. This is what the world wants to say. You were made broken. You'll always be this way. You have a problem with anger and you're like mean to your spouse and that's just how it is. You guys are gonna have to figure out how to live with that. That's the enemy speaking to you. That's a spirit of oppression speaking to you. And one of the principles by which you're gonna get free of your own behavior is you're gonna start believing it's possible for God to set you free from a pattern and a cycle of anger. That's just one example, a pattern and cycle of pornography, a pattern and cycle of greed, a pattern and pipe of self-esteem issues, of self-harm, whatever it is that's happening in your life, a spirit of anxiety where you've just been telling yourself, well, I guess I'm just going to struggle with extreme depression for the rest of my life. That's a spirit of oppression speaking to you. Remember last January, I was in Haiti. I met my sponsor child with Compassion. But what was most exciting, I mean, I was thrilled to meet him. His name's Emerson. He's like this six-year-old little kid. He's amazing. He's just like my little kids. He's like wants to play. He doesn't want to talk to me. You know what I mean? He's like busy. He's happy. He's great. He's going to school. He's getting fed every day. He's getting some medical attention. It's amazing. But what I was most excited to talk to was his mother. His mother's name's Jasmine. And I'll never forget, I was saying, tell me your story. Tell me what it's like to be a mother in Haiti and trying to struggle through this. They tell me how this works for you. And she told me the story. It's so fascinating. She said to me, I was in a village with Emerson. We were practically starving to death. The hurricane, the earthquake had happened and then the hurricane happened. She said, I really had lost hope. And she said, I heard another mother talking to somebody else, telling them that there was a church in a town on the, you know, not too far away that actually was taking on or, like little kids in poverty and sending them to school and making it possible for them to have a, a food in their bellies every day and a potential future. She said, in my mind, I thought to myself, that's not true. She said, in my mind, I thought that can't possibly be true. How many, how many people know that what that's like? You know, it's too good to be true. You ever find that? I remember when I found my spouse, my, my fiance, Steven, he was just like the best guy in the world. He, and, and I remember I was trying to dig up some dirt on him. You know, I was trying to find some dirt because I was like, there's nobody that could be this good, you know, because I wasn't so good. So I was like, there's got to be, when I marry this guy, you know, the, the, it's all going to go like, no, this is, this is impossible, you know. And I remember digging up all the dirt I could find. And finally, I found this, this one moment where Steven once thought about smoking, you know. That was like the most dirt I could find on this guy. He's just squeaky clean. The guys, and I remember when I got married, I thought that's when it's easy. The real Steven's going to pop out. You know what I mean? When I get married, I'm going to be married to this like a guy who looks really good, but it isn't possibly good. And I remember like the first, I remember just marriage. He's still good. And I remember after one year, it was like the honeymoon. It was like after a year, that's when you're going to discover that he's like, you know, you're done. It's going to be terrible. And then I was like the second year, we're like, is this, is this really happening? Like, is he still good? Is this still working? Do we still love each other? And then the third year and the fourth year, we just celebrated 22 years. And I'm telling you, the man's good. I'm telling you right now, he's just a good man. They exist in the world. Who knew, right? They exist in the world and we're possible. It's possible for us to have marriages that last. It's possible for us to be good and kind to each other. It's possible for love to actually be enough for us. It's possible for us to live clean, beautiful lives. Do you understand? It's possible for us to live fulfilled, enriching, enlarging, exciting, adventurous lives together. It's possible. And whenever we think it's too good to be true, that's oppression at work. That's the spirit of extreme poverty. So my friend Jasmine, Emerson's mother, she's telling me, I just thought to myself instantly, that can't possibly be true. That's because the spirit of extreme poverty is living at work in Haiti. And she said, I needed to find out for myself. So she took two motorcycle rides, hitched a ride. She walked for almost a full day to get to the church and talk to the pastor. And she said to the pastor, is it true? The pastor said, what is what true? She said, is it true that you take little kids that are living in poverty and you give them an opportunity that they don't have? Is it true that you send them to school? Is it true that this is possible? And the pastor looked at her and said, yes, it's true. 
because it's for freedom that Christ set us free, so be free. And he says, yes, it's true. And then little Emerson got put on the list to be a compassion-sponsored child. And all the way around the other side of the world, I'm at some conference just like you are, and somebody's saying, hey, do you want this day to be the moment where you say that you're going to do something to help a little kid on the other side of the world? And I was like, yes, I do. And I went and I, I grabbed Emerson's picture. And this story that was too good to be true became true. This story that was impossible for Jasmine became possible for Jasmine because that's the spirit of freedom, and that's how freedom works. So here's the question I want to ask you is, what is the area of your life that you think is impossible for you to be free? Let's start there. Because if the gospel says this, if Paul says Galatians 5, 1, that it was for freedom that Christ set you free, then where freedom needs to begin in your life is wherever you think it's impossible for it to begin in your life. That's always where it begins. Here's, here's number two. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Listen, this is one of the things I know for sure, that fear is the currency of oppression. Fear is how oppression works. Look, lies is the language of oppression. If you're looking to see how uh, oppression works, wherever there are lies at work, that's oppression at work in your life. Wherever it is, in society, wherever there are lies spinning about, that's where oppression lives. But you better bet that wherever you're afraid, wherever there is fear, wherever you're making decisions that are based on fear, that's how oppression works too. That's the currency of oppression. I've been doing a study on the book of Exodus on the verse, that big, big, huge story of God's people being set free. And one of the things that absolutely amazed me and helped me understand this principle more than anything else was the fact that if you read Exodus chapter 1 and you look at how the Israelites, how these blessed people that came to Egypt as honored guests became slaves to Egypt, and how that trajectory happened, you start realizing that they were afraid. They were afraid of what the Egyptians thought. They were afraid of what Pharaoh would do. They were, they were constantly afraid. And one of the things that's most amazing about that first chapter, if you read it, is it says not only were the Israelites afraid, but so was Pharaoh. It says that because Pharaoh was afraid of the Israelites, he began to oppress them. Here's what that means. It means that if fear is the reason for your decision, if fear is your motivation, no matter what it is, if fear is your motivation, it means that you're participating in a spirit of oppression. And what will happen is you will either be oppressed or you will be an oppressor. You will be oppressed or you will be an oppressor. It doesn't matter. You find any oppressor in the world, any oppressive government, any oppressive system, any oppressive force that's at work in the world right now, and you'll find somebody who's afraid. You'll find someone who's afraid because fear is the currency of oppression. So let me ask you this. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What decisions are you doing motivated by fear? What are the things that you're deciding to do in your life that fear is the common motivator? What other people might think of me or what might happen if or what might happen if not or whatever those things are. Wherever fear is at work, you can be sure the spirit of oppression is behind that. And I remember saying to God, okay, fear. I mean, how do we even live? This world is motivated by fear. I mean, go ahead. Try to watch the news. I dare you and not be afraid. I mean, we're being taught, especially in this time in the world, we have never been more afraid. I'm afraid to let my kids go play in the local park. I'm afraid of our neighbors. I'm afraid of people who don't look like me. I'm afraid of people from other religions. I'm afraid of people from other nations. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of terrorism. I'm afraid of being shot by our own people. I'm just afraid all the time because fear is the currency of oppression. And that's what we're reading. We're breathing it every day. I remember saying to God, like, how do we stop being so afraid? How do the people of God stop being so scared all the time? How do we stop being afraid of what the world thinks or what the news says or what this person thinks or what might happen in the future? When do we become so afraid? I remember the Lord told me, reminded me of the story. I was helping this uh, girl named Flower. Her street name was Flower. On this beautiful, incredible occasion, she had been sold into sex slavery when she was about 11 years old. She was a heroin addict. She was just like the worst person in the neighborhood, you know, I remember for almost a solid year, every time we would approach her, she would just signal us with a hand signal that meant she wasn't interested. It wasn't very, it wasn't very subtle either. You know, we got the grip that she did not want a relationship. And finally, one night in the middle of a prayer walk, she wanted a relationship and God just showed up and like she fell asleep for three days on my living room floor. She stood up after three days. I actually had to keep taking her pulse. 
I remember I lived in this little apartment in this drug-addicted neighborhood, and, I, and my, my son was about three years old, and he used to play with those play cars, you know, like the, the Hot Wheels. And I remember she was living, she was, like, she was sleeping in his play place, you know, and I remember him, like, you know, doing the car on her leg, you know, just, like, as a ramp. And I was like, Zion, cut that out, you know, that's not very nice. And then I would take her pulse, you know, make sure she's still alive. And then if she was still alive, I'd be like, okay, carry on. Fair enough, you know. At the end of three days, I remember Flower, she woke up and she said, she looked at me with these wide eyes in my living room. She said, I need God. And we were able to free her that day. I mean, literally, she went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It was a resurrection story. It was beautiful. God spoke really clearly in her life that flowers were meant to bloom. But listen, then what happened was this long journey of freedom too, right? So God did what only God could do. God broke through the hardest heart I've ever seen. The most inhospitable, the most enslaved and oppressed person broke through with the spirit of freedom because that's what Jesus does. And then flower had to actually bring her capacity, her partnership. She was invited by God to partner with him in walking this freedom out every day. And so it began a process of detox and treatment and like, counseling and uh, all sorts of things. And one of the things that kept happening in Flower's life, even after she had encountered the freedom that Jesus gave her, is she kept getting kind of like assaulted by a memory, by a trauma. She had this one pimp that used to like just traumatize her like I, like I don't even want to describe to you. And she was very afraid of him. And sometimes when she would be sleeping at night, this pimp would come to her in her mind and say, when you get back, this is what I'm going to do to you. Like, this is what's going to happen. And she would wake up terrified, just sweating, just completely. And then one time I remember we were having a prayer time together, her and I, and she went to pray. And when she went to pray, she saw this guy again in her mind saying like, if you say this prayer, I am gonna, you know, and just threatening her and oppressing her. And I remember she said, hey, I don't want to pray anymore. I said, what do you mean you don't want to pray anymore? Like, what's going on? She said, well, every time I close my eyes to pray, this, this bully comes and starts tormenting me. Now, first I thought, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't pray. But then I remembered it was for freedom that Christ set us free. So we should be free. And we shouldn't let slavery come back. And we shouldn't let oppression come back. And it also dawned on me that that oppressor and that bully had enough of her life and had enough of her brain and had enough space in her life. And it was time for the bully to go. So I said, I said to my friend Flower, you want to try something out? She said, what do you mean? I said, do you want to try instead of running away from the bully? Instead of pretending like the bully doesn't exist, instead of just avoiding the bully, do you want to just invite Jesus to come right where the bully is? Do you want to just see what happens if we were to invite God, like he says, perfect love drives out fear? Do you want to just see if maybe it's possible if we invited God into our fear, if there might be another alternative, if there might be something we could do to confront our fear? So Flower said, sure, let's give it a go. So I remember saying to her, okay, let's pray. So we, we closed our eyes again, and I said, Jesus, you know, you know what's happening with Flower? I said, Flower, just go right back to the scene in your mind that was happening when you were, like, afraid. Go right back, right up to the bully. And right now, I just said, Jesus, would you please show up right now in, in Flower's mind, even in her imagination, wherever this is happening, in her prayer. Would you just show up? And then I remember Flower just started killing herself laughing. And I was like, this isn't funny. It's a prayer. I was like, this is so irreverent. What are you doing? Why are you laughing? She said, well, Jesus showed up. And I remember thinking, whew, it's true. Jesus has come to set us free. The presence of God is enough to drive out the enemy. It's true, you know? So I was excited. And I remember saying to her, okay, okay, it's true. Tell me more. Like, where is he? And she said, well, he came. He stood right in front of me and the bully. And I said, that's awesome. That's where he promises to come, right? He's like a shield. He's like a strong tower. He's a protector. He's a refuge in times of trouble. This is true what Jesus said when he's present. He's enough for us. He goes before us. He goes behind us. He hides us under the shadow of his wings. I'm like, this is awesome. She goes, no, that's not what's funny. I said, well, what's so funny? And she just starts killing herself laughing. And she, she has this big smile on her face. And she looks at me and she said, well, let me put it to you this way, Danielle. She said, I am literally hugging his left calf. She looks at me and she says with this big smile, she says, he's bigger than I expected. And then she described with ultimate joy 
how much bigger he was than the bully expected. And she started to describe the scene of this tormenting, oppressive, like big, terrible force running away from the presence of Jesus in her prayer for his life, saying, ah, and like running for cover. And that was the last time the bully came to, to pursue her, torment her in the night or during a prayer. Because the way that we combat fear is we don't pretend we're not afraid. It's not our ego that's going to confront fear. We don't just avoid places where we're afraid because that's just a way of going nowhere. That's called hiding. That's not an actual confrontation. That's not freedom. How we actually combat a spirit of fear is we confront our fear. We get honest about our fear. We get vulnerable in the middle of our fear. And we say, help. We say, God, help me right now. Come with me right now, right in the middle of the fear. Would you please come? Perfect presence of love and drive the fear out of the way. Listen, let me ask you, how many decisions are you making that are driven by fear? How many decisions are you making, even for your church, even for your community, even for your marriage, even for your family, even where you live, whatever God's telling you to do, and you're just constantly going, but what about this? But what about this? But what happens if this? But what about that? But what about those? That's all fear, man. And what that does is it keeps you in a cycle of oppression, but it was for freedom that Christ set us free. So be free. Here's number three. Number three I wish was different. I got to be honest with you. I really wish that freedom came tomorrow with somebody else. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. Freedom always comes right now with you. Freedom always starts with you. This is you. It's for you. This freedom always begins with you and right now. The, fr the start of freedom. You know, we all sort of go, if only, if only, if only today, if only tomorrow, if only the, there was a different, you know, political party, if only there was a different system, if only economics were different, if only there was a different government, if only there was a different church, whatever it is, we go on and on and on. But freedom always starts now and it starts with you. If you haven't seen a movie called 12 Years a Slave, it's worth seeing. It tells the story of how this, this guy Solomon Northrup, he's a free man in the north of the States, and he got captured. He got kidnapped. Like many people still in the world, this is happening. They're getting kidnapped, and they're being sold into slavery. And this is a true story of this guy Solomon. He gets kidnapped, and he gets sold into slavery. He's beaten. He's given a slave name. He's taken all of his clothes are taken. He's, he's told, like, you're a slave now. And he's kind of in this place where he's like, how can I be a slave? This isn't making sense. How is this happening to me like this? And, and he's put on this boat that's headed to a plantation in the south. And, um, and he's on this boat. I'll never forget this part of the movie. It's excruciating to watch this movie about how slavery works. It's really, really powerful and truthful and painful to watch. But it's important to understand how oppression works so that we can fight against it. And this guy's on the bottom of this slave ship. And he's with this guy beside him, and he says to this guy says to him, psst, psst, hey. And he looks over, he goes, what? He said, look, I've counted the guys on this, this boat. There's only six of them. There's only six guys commanding the boat. And look at us. There's like at least 50 of us in here. If we all go at the same time, we could take the ship. Yeah, we could get our freedom. We could turn the ship back to the north, and we could stop the madness right now. And the guy on the other side of Solomon, he says, no, 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 no. He said, don't do it right now. He said, this is not good. He said, because they have guns and we don't have any guns. So some of us are going to die. He said, surely there'll be a better time. Surely there'll be a more opportune moment. And then Solomon is sitting there. He's brand new to slavery. So he doesn't understand how it works. But he's sitting there and he's saying, yeah, there must be a better time. Like the risks are too high. Like this is too crazy. So he says, let's wait. Let's wait for a better time. And then what happens when you watch the movie is this, he, they get to the plantation, it just gets worse. I mean, it gets so much worse than you can ever even imagine. It just gets so much. There is not only not a more opportune time, there's just not any other time. This is it. And for 12 years, he gets more and more of his humanity taken from more, more and more pain inflicted. He becomes, he even forgets that he even had another name. He forgets who he is. And the whole time I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking back to the boat. I'm saying, why didn't he do it on the boat? Why didn't he do it on the boat? Because this is the deal, even tonight, 
In your mind, what will happen is maybe, maybe freedom's for me. Maybe freedom's for right now. Maybe God has this plan to set me free so that I could set some other people free. Maybe this is what God wants you to do. And then, then there's going to be this oppressive voice in your head that said, yeah, but maybe tomorrow. But maybe you could start tomorrow. Maybe you could start at a more opportune time. Maybe, you know how many girls I talk to that stay in terrible, toxic relationships until Valentine's Day is over? You know, maybe after the Valentine's dance, or maybe, you know how many uh, addicts I know that, that try to quit smoking, but they, 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 they always say, I'll wait till the pack's done. Do you mind how many people quit smoking after the end of the pack? In my experience, none. People who quit smoking quit right in the middle of the pack. People who quit smoking do it right now. And they start with themselves. They make a decision for right now in their own lives, for this moment in time, right now. Do you remember in the Bible what it says about this? It says, when is the acceptable day of salvation? Today's the day. Isn't that funny? It's like literally ask it to yourself every day. When is a good day for salvation to reign? When's a good day for freedom to come? When's a good day to respond yes to God and what he wants in my life? When's a good day to say no to oppression and yes to freedom? This is what the Bible will say every single day today. Today, now's the time. Today is the day for salvation to come. And that's because God doesn't live in tomorrow. He lives in today. It's because God is eternally present. That's how he comes when he comes to Moses, remember? And he says, I have this plan to liberate people. And guess what? The plan starts with you. And Moses is like, what? And God says, I am that I am. I'm not over there. I'm not over here. I'm not like tomorrow. This isn't for the next generation. This is for your generation. This is for this day. This is for today. And this is for you because freedom always starts right now. And it always starts with you. This is some good news, people. This is some good news. You do not let have oppression have one more minute of your precious life. You don't have to let slavery come back in whatever form it comes back. When Paul was speaking to the Galatians, of course, he was talking about a spirit of slavery that was at work in religious practices where people thought there was some way they could perform themselves into salvation. There was some way that they could act good enough it was just another form of oppression. It's the same old spirit of lies and fears of what people might think if they knew the truth about you. What Jesus is asking for you to do is to step into the truth that leads to freedom, the, the truth that can set you free, that is not what you do. It's not how you perform. It's not what other people think. It's not a fear-based that God might be mad at you. This is a truth-based that God is for you, not against you, that God is enough, that God has made you for freedom, and that that freedom starts with Jesus and with you right here and right now. Here's the final stage of freedom. The final principle that's been at work in my life has been helpful for me, and that's this. Never, ever, 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 ever give up. Never give up. Now, we have been raised in a generation of what I call the Disney curse. You know, we think everything, every story, even our trajectory is wrapped up in an hour and a half. It involves magical fairy dust and a lot of really good singing. Right? We just think this is true. Like, for example, take uh, the Red Sea. You know, one of the greatest stories of the exodus, the people, the freedom that God has for people. We just think that took place in about two and a half minutes. And it had a great song accompanying with it. And there was this beautiful epic moment. And the, the children of Israel just walked on the dry sea, which is, it's all true. Except that most of the commentators that you'll read when you actually study that passage of scripture say that for 1.6 million people, which is how many Jews we think were in Egypt when they were set free, for 1.6 million people to cross that section of the Red Sea along the bottom of that Red Sea to get all the way to the other side would have taken at least 30 days. At least 30 days just for those Israelites to cross the bottom of the sea. When they get to the other side of the sea, the Israelites start complaining. And when you hear this preached all the time, people always goes, those Israelites are so ungrateful. But you know what it would have been like? It would have been like those, those pictures you see of the refugee families that are fleeing for their lives from Syria. And they're walking along these, and they're using all their resources. They've eaten everything that they can, and they get to another border country in Europe. And you'll see, if you watch the news, you'll see there's a big fence. And they'll be standing there, whole families by the fence, saying, please, somebody help us because we've used all our food, and we have nothing left. This is how the Israelites would have felt. 
And the, the Exodus story is simply this. It says that it can even just take maybe nine months. Maybe it takes a year to get the Israelites out of Egypt by the sovereign hand of God. But it takes about 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. That takes practice. That takes new habits. That takes a, a commitment. That takes a partnership. That takes a new chance, a new pattern of behavior in your own life, in your own relationship. That takes some work. And what God says he's looking for are people who will live by faith, the kind of faith in Hebrews 11 that says when they're facing, let's pick extreme poverty. When they're facing an oppression like extreme poverty, they don't just go up once and say extreme poverty has to go in Jesus' name. They're people who give themselves to the work. They're people who don't look back. They're people who, like the mighty men of David, they take on the enemy, and it says they're so committed to it that their hand is frozen to their sword. They won't stop until it happens. They won't stop until it's done. There's a whole cloud of witnesses, the scripture says in Hebrews 11, who even though they never even experienced in their lifetime, they never stopped trying. They never stopped working. They were so tired of oppression that they were willing to do what they could right here and right now to make a difference in the world. They never, ever, ever, ever stopped trying. Never quit. I know in my, in my own tradition, the Salvation Army, William Booth was the founder. Remember, he was old. He was blind. The Salvation Army had been going to lots of countries. And his whole heart was to tell people who didn't know about Jesus. His whole heart was just to tell newcomers, just to tell people there's someone who's for you. There's someone who can break the cycles of oppression in your life. There's someone who can bring freedom and salvation. His name is Jesus. That's what he was. He was a preacher. And I remember they were leading him. It was his final address. And there were thousands of people in England at this hall that came to hear him speak. The mighty William Booth, a great orator, a fantastic preacher. And his aide was leading him to the stage. He was blind. He couldn't see. And he whispered to his aide. He said, please don't tell me this hall is filled with saints. He said, please tell me there's some people here who still need to hear the gospel. Tell me there's people here who need to hear the good news. Tell me he would never, and on that address, he stood on that stage and he said these words. He said, while there are still women who are weeping, I will fight. While there's still children who are hungry, I will fight. While there's still girls being sold in and out for slavery, I'll fight. He said, while there's still darkness in the land, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. If you want freedom to not just come, but you want freedom to stay, you have to commit yourself to that kind of a resolve, that kind of a posture that says, I'm not going to quit. This is not just a one-off decision until the next festival. This is a decision I mean to live out every day. Come hell or high water, I choose Jesus today and then every day for the rest of my life. I want to stand in the battle with my hand frozen to my sword, saying to the spirit of oppression, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It could take my whole life and God can have it because I'm never, ever, 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 ever giving up. And neither should you. I, I don't know what principle hit you hardest today. I, I don't know where you're at in your own life. I don't know what kind of freedom you're living. What I know is that it was for freedom that Christ came to set us free and that he intends to set us free tonight. And I want to ask in this place, I want to ask if there's some people here tonight that need to be set free. that want to say, I need freedom in my own life I want to be set free. And if that's you, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand right where you are. Just to raise your hand up if you want to be free. And you're just like tonight, you're just like, I know this is a moment for me where I'm just going to declare that I'm tired of living in fear. That I, I'm tired of believing it's impossible for me to live a life of freedom. That I'm going to start now and I'm going to start right now where I am in my life today. I'm not going to wait for tomorrow anymore, the day that never comes. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do it today. And I'm tired of giving up. I'm tired of being fickle. I'm tired of trying it and leaving it again. I mean to commit tonight for a life of freedom. If that's you, just raise your hand up. I'm gonna, I want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. And your prayer could be really, really super simple. You can just say, Jesus, please set me free. Jesus, please set me free. 
And Jesus, we're asking right now for your spirit to come among us here tonight. Thank you for your presence already with us. Thank you that you go before us and behind us, that you make a way where there is no way. Thank you for the cross that disarms the principalities and the powers and makes it possible for us to be saved. Thank you. Would you please set your children free? Even tonight, we're praying, Jesus, for a sovereign act of freedom. We're asking for addiction to be broken, a spirit of oppression to lift right now. We're asking for cycles of anxiety and fear and abuse and toxic relationships and behaviors just to be broken right now in Jesus' name. We're asking for your spirit to come, and where the spirit is, there is freedom. We're asking for that kind of freedom in our lives, that we wouldn't be a people who are afraid Please break a spirit of fear off of your people. Break a spirit of fear off of your people and empower us to choose you every day. Would you give a spirit of perseverance right now to your children? Many of us here in this place who've been doing this a long time and we're tired, I just pray that you would fill us again, renew us again, give us fresh energy right now. Help us to be people of faith like Hebrews 11 who never, ever stop, who refuse to give up, until your freedom is a thing that's real life for today and for today's world. We're asking right now in Jesus' name that you would set us free. And all God's people said, amen. Now listen, this is fantastic. I believe it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And one of the great things I believe with all my heart is that all the freedom that God gives us is for somebody else's freedom. This is, it's connected. We're all deeply connected. You know, in the Salvation Army, I usually wear a uniform, and on the uniform, there are these S's. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but we have two S's. People always say, you know, what do the S's mean? And I always, you know, what they officially mean is they mean save to save. You know, I tell my kids they mean super suit because they're just little kids, and they think I'm a superhero, so I, I just, like, keep the illusion alive, you know. So it's super suit. One time I was at a, a homeless drop-in center, and an inebriated drunk friend of mine came falling down the stairs, and I remember he looked at me in my uniform, and he goes, what do those S's mean, sexy soldier? I said, they do now. Yeah. But what they mean is saved to save. In other words, that all of what God has done for me, that all of what God has done for you, that all the freedom in the world that God's given you, all the things that he's done in your life is actually an invitation for you to do for someone else. It's actually bigger than you. It's larger than you. It's an invitation for God to invite you out of yourself and into the world to make a difference there. And one of the great ways you can start this journey right here tonight is you can be a part of a freedom story for somebody else in the world, you can actually help break the back of extreme poverty in our lifetime. You could actually do what it is for somebody else that you would love somebody to have done for you or what Jesus has done for you where it's not possible that you could have done it for yourself. But because Jesus intervened in your life, he made it possible for you to do what was impossible for you to do before. And you could do that. You could be a part of that story. In that story, of course, one of the great ways you can do this in a myriad of ways, you can volunteer, you can be part of your church outreach team, you can go on a mission, you can go tell your friend about Jesus. But tonight, we want to bring your attention specifically to compassion. And I want to talk to you about not only little kids who need an opportunity, but their parents who are asking church leaders all around the world right now with compassion if it's really true. If it's really possible that there is such a thing as a church who brings the impossible to be possible for their kids. If it's really possible that there's a people who believe that with a bit of partnership, God can do what seems impossible. And that's what I'm asking you. If you could possibly take all the freedom and the message of freedom that God has given to us and deposit it in the life of a child. Now, I know some of these decisions are difficult because you're ruled by impossibility sometimes, or sometimes it's fear, or sometimes you think you'll get to this later when you have enough money. Let me tell, me, let me tell you a couple of my favorite stories. Number one, the way I know that, I, the way I knew that my fiance was the man I was gonna marry was the time that he gave me a child for Christmas. I'll never forget, I remember calling up my mother saying, you're never gonna guess what Steve gave me. And she's like, what? I'm like, a little baby, <laughs> just to give her a heart attack. She said, what do you mean? I said, oh, don't worry, he's in Africa. <laughs> she said, whew, 
But I remember the time where this guy understood that our relationship was bigger than just what he could get me. He wanted to invite me into a bigger. So he actually bought every Christmas for our entire marriage. He's bought me a sponsorship, a year sponsorship for a child so that a child can go to school, so a child can be seen, so a child can be rescued, so a child can be given an opportunity because he knows what matters to me. That's when I knew that was the guy I wanted to marry. Guys, are you listening? Your girls want something better and deeper than just more stuff. They want to be part of changing the world. You understand? Here's another one of my favorite stories. I was, I was leading a Bible study group with a bunch of homeless people at a shelter that I helped run. And every Wednesday, we would meet together and we would do this Bible study. And part of the curriculum of the Bible story was this invitation to sponsor a child. And I remember feeling really awkward about it because I was like, geez, they're homeless people. Like, this seems a little heavy, you know? Like, I remember thinking like, ah. And so, but I was like, well, they're people. So I remember saying like, one of the invitations to respond to the Bible study is to sponsor a child. And I remember this guy, Al, he's a homeless guy. He's one of those guys that collects bottles out of uh, garbage cans, you know? And I remember him saying, you know, well, I couldn't do it by myself, he said. But if all of us did it together, we could totally do it. How much is it a month? I said, it's $38 a month. He said, I, I'm good for seven. <laughs> and every Wednesday, I kid you not, these homeless people would come. Some of them would bring big bags of recycling that we would cash in together to put in a pot for the sponsor child that they sponsored to get out of freedom. And here's what it was for them. It was an opportunity for them to be human. It was an opportunity for them to be dignified. It was an opportunity to use what freedom that they had been given to help free somebody else. Now listen, I don't want to say it to shame you. I want to say it to inspire you. If a group of homeless people can sponsor a child, I'm pretty sure you and a few of your friends could get together and make a difference in the world so that freedom could come in our lifetime and in our generation. I, I want to tell you one other one. My 14-year-old, he has a locker in his high school, and what he does is he takes his spending money, he recycles himself, he raises his own money, and he uses it to sponsor a child. And when all of his friends are going to 7-Eleven to buy the Slurpee, you know, for whatever, the French fries or the hot dog or whatever for lunch, he has a picture of his brother. He calls him his brother because he's the same age as him. He puts him on his locker. And he says to his friends, I'd love to come to 7-Eleven, but actually instead of a Slurpee today, I choose an education for my friend Emerson. Isn't that powerful? Isn't it powerful that a 14-year-old kid could witness to his friends that he wants to live a life where freedom reigns, that he wants to be part of bringing freedom to the earth, that he's going to be the one. It's going to start with him today. So it doesn't matter how old you are or how much money you have. Get together with your youth group. Get together with your spouse. Listen, as a parent, I sponsor a child for my children to teach them that they're connected to other kids in the world and that their choices and our church choices as a family matter in real life. And that this Jesus we follow is not just a spiritual thing, it's a physical thing too. Jesus doesn't just mean to give us spiritual food, he means to give physical food to hungry people too. That that's how powerful the gospel is. And I get to tell my sons about that. My seven-year-old son, Judah, he can't wait to go visit his brother in Uganda. He can't wait for the day where he gets to go, where he's old enough to go and meet him in person. This is an opportunity as a parent to model discipleship to your kids. These are opportunities that we have. So listen, I didn't want to preach this sermon about freedom now and freedom today and freedom in your life and not give you an opportunity to actually help set some people free in the world free from extreme poverty, free from impossibility, free from a spirit of fear, free from addiction and trafficking and pain, and free from the spirit of oppression. I didn't want to give you a chance to do that. If you've already been sponsoring a child, maybe consider another. Maybe if you've been sponsoring a child and it hasn't cost you very much personally, you have room for more that God wants to increase your capacity and a message of freedom. So what we have is we have compassion volunteers that are here in blue vests. They're rocking the blue vests. They're very good looking people. They're volunteering here and they have these packages and in these packages are real kids. They're pictures, they're pictures, but they're real kids. They live in the world right now in the impossible zone. And what we wanna do is we wanna take what is impossible with man and transfer it into the what's possible with God department tonight. It'll be one of the ways that we know freedom's reigning 
It'll be one of the ways we can measure how freedom's coming to the world. Won't it be amazing in our lifetime where we say goodbye to extreme poverty? We want to release some kids from poverty in Jesus' name as a statement of freedom here tonight. So if this is something you want to do, what I'd like you to do is just raise your hand and they're going to come find you wherever you are. Just raise your hand in the air if you want to sponsor a kid. You just want to say, I want freedom to come to a kid. There's some, there's some folks in the front. That's fantastic. Go ahead. Raise your Raise your hand. The, the last time I did one of these, I did it with my son, Judah. He was in the audience and he put his hand up. He's seven, you know. I was like, honey, we already sponsor children. <laughs> and he said, we could sponsor some more because that's how kids go, isn't it? Because they're like Jesus, unless we become like little children, we'll never enter the kingdom of God. Is there someone else? You raise your hand and just say, I want freedom to come in my life. And I also want it to come in someone else's life tonight. Extend the blessing. Extend the blessing. If this is you, we're looking for you. We're going to find you. I want you to, when you, when you get that child in your hands, I want you to start praying right now for freedom to come. Praying that God would lift off oppression and release those people to be the freedom fighters we need them to be in their own areas. All around the world, a generation that's saying no to the spirit of oppression in the world. Breaking the back of poverty in our generation. We're not going to give up doing this. Just pray about it. If you haven't decided, ask God. Ask God, say, do you want me to sponsor a kid? Do you want me to do this? If you haven't been doing this, this is just the beginning. This is a way. It's just one way where you can make a difference in the world, where you can begin a journey of gratitude and thankfulness, unraveling the spirit of oppression on the earth. Maybe as a family, if you're trying to woo a girl at this festival, I guarantee you this is going to help. This is going to help. I guarantee you there's somebody... There's some more. We're going to have a song. We're going to let it play over us as compassion volunteers still keep going. It's not too late, and it's not too hard for God. Nothing is. It's not too late. It's not too hard for God. Nothing is. Not anything in your life. And I'm going to keep believing for your own freedom and for the freedom of your family and for freedom of prodigals that are out still that are going to be set free. And if we keep praying for his spirit from uh, sex trafficking, we're going to keep praying for all of these things. And as we're praying for these things, we're going to actually partner with God in helping him bring them to the earth for real life. It's still time. If you'd like to sponsor a child tonight, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Yeah, we got lots of hands still raised. Just keep them up so a compassion volunteer can find you. Letting freedom reign in this place tonight. God, we're asking for every child, every child, every child, we're asking for their freedom tonight. We're asking for freedom from extreme poverty. We're asking freedom from a spirit of oppression. We're asking freedom from an enemy that would try to keep people trapped, children trapped in cycles. We're asking for freedom to come in new ways, in new ways and new possibilities all around the world. Anyone else? It's not too late. There's still some time. Don't be afraid. This thing starts now. We need you. Anyone else? There's still some time. We're going to play a song. And we're going to let the compassion volunteers keep circling and keep talking because we want freedom to reign. We want it to reign in the spirit. We want it to reign in your life. We want it to reign in America. And we also want freedom to reign all around the world because this is why Christ died. Christ died to set us free, so be free. Let's turn to someone beside you and say, be free.